welcome to the Acro Chats podcast. This podcast is dedicated to the practice of acrobatics in the global acro community. I'm Sean. And I'm Emily. We're partners and teachers based out of New York City, and we love acro. Each week, we dive into acro topics, including training tips and methodology, happenings in history of the practice, and interviews with acro practitioners from around the world. Come hang with us as we explore the world of acro and its global community. So welcome back to Acro Chats, everyone. It's me, Sean, and my boss, Emily. <laughs> what? <laughs> so we film... Uh, so not the case. Well, we don't film, even though that's... We also said that on take one. But Emily wishes it was filmed because the shoulder is way easier to talk about when you have visual aids, but we're gonna just use our great, great words, the best of words, to describe <laughs> shoulders, the acrobatic shoulder at that. Yeah, um, I think uh, what makes circus arts, circus athletics um, so impressive is a lot of times, whether it's aerial, uh, aerial apparatus, um, handstand training, acrobatics, partner acro, um, we're essentially taking the human body and kind of flipping, you know, its anatomical arrangement. <laughs> um, and, you know, we normally walk around on our legs and use our legs to do things. And our hands are like fine motor, um, you know, appendages. And most circus disciplines kind of invert that. Yeah, so... As human beings, uh, we use our arms for different things than our legs. So like way back in the day, we had hind legs and front legs and we were like this little like monkey creature. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, not a monkey, but like, you know, we have a common ancestor with uh, apes. Apes are our closest uh, thing, but then, uh, you know, Primates in general kind of come from like this branch that at one point looked like a macaque, a little monkey in the trees. And then over time, because of like climate change, we get out of the trees, we start like walking and our arms change and they become more dexterous and they help us reach for things. And our hands stop looking as much like feet. Yeah, so... And our feet look more like feet. <laughs> and less like... Well, actually, that's actually more of what it is. Our feet start to look more like something that's really flat, that doesn't grab as much, and we can stand on. Yeah. And, you know, our feet have a very sturdy, like, heel structure, um, and that kind of makes standing on your feet quite stable. Um, and you also stand on your feet from the time that you're a little kid, when you first get up and stand and hold on to the furniture and then start taking a few steps. So our whole lives, we go standing on our feet and walking on our feet, and that becomes like very, very automatic, not something that you really ever have to think about. But, you know, we do come from our bodies at a point in time, like how to do these things very commonly. And, um, you know, our bodies still have the tools to do these things. Like our arms aren't as big compared to the rest of our body as they were at some point down the evolutionary chain. But, you know, we still have plenty of capabilities and, you know, we also have the, uh, this giant head, <laughs> which, uh, you know, makes planching <laughs> capable. Human head weighs eight to 10 pounds. Um, but, you know, because of our brains, we have the ability to kind of plan. We can create, like, 
strategies about how to use our shoulders. And because we have these strategies, um, if you care to take the time to learn them, you can do things that people think you shouldn't be able to do just because they're kind of harder now. Yeah. Um, so we can talk about what a shoulder is, like the so, structure, the anatomy. <laughs> so a shoulder. The shoulder refers to actually a bunch of different joints. Yeah. Um, Emily, why I don't would, you take us through it? I would say the shoulder is like a region. It's not any one structure. <laughs> yeah, so the shoulder is where your upper limbs connect to your trunk. trunk. That's the word. <laughs> um, so people are imagining different things when they say the word shoulder, um, but you know, from the anatomical perspective, um, you know, I'll speak from my PT position. Um, you have a ball and socket joint where your upper arm bone meets your shoulder blade. That's called your glenohumeral joint. Um, so the ball and socket of the shoulder is your glenohumeral joint. You also have the shoulder blade itself uh, sliding on the rib cage. So that's your scapula thoracic joint. Your shoulder blade is your scapula. So the scapula is like its own like fairly large bone compared to like the uh, the ball that goes into the socket. So the socket's at like the very outer edge, top outer edge if you're standing upright of your shoulder blade. And you can think like a triangle, a couple of times the size of like the head of the humerus, yeah. like five times yeah. something. But anyway, um, your uh, glenohumeral joint, the ball and socket, plugs into the shoulder blade and then that shoulder blade, as Emily said, the scapula thoracic joint slides on your upper back, your thoracic spine. Now it doesn't slide all that freely. There's a lot of muscles and uh, ligaments uh, connecting these things, fascia connecting these things, but, and that's so that they can be uh, stable. Oh, and there's another part of your <laughs> shoulder. Tell us about it, Emily. Yeah. Uh, so your scapula is on the back of your rib cage. Um, you also have a collarbone in the front. Um, you can touch your own collarbone. It's pretty, pretty obvious um, to feel. And that kind of creates a st stabilizing structure on the front side of the rib cage. So the collarbone and the scapula kind of meet at that outer tip of the shoulder. Um, and then the upper arm bone plugs into the ball and socket joint. So these structures together kind of sit on the rib cage. So when we talk about anatomy, uh, a joint is where a bone uh, articulates with another bone. So interestingly enough, your uh, shoulder or your arm, only uh, the only like bony joint that connects it is your AC joint, where your collarbone connects to your scapula. And then otherwise your arm doesn't have any connection to like your axial skeleton. Um, it's just kind of, and then your scapula doesn't have any connection to the actual like ribs on the back. So like basically like your whole arm is kind of, as far as like bone attachments is like in the very like top corner of your chest sort of. So um, this is in contrast to the hip. The hip is a ball and socket joint that connects in your femur into your pelvis. And that's a very stable structure. Your pelvis is like this big, bony bowl structure and the, the ball and socket is very deep and your hip sits in there and that's because we stand on that. 
um, and the shoulder has this very kind of um, muscular, mobile connection to the trunk. Your arm has a mobile connection to the trunk because of how we use our arms. Um, and so those two things, even though they're both ball and socket joints, the hip and the shoulder, they are very much in contrast to each other. Yeah, so the shoulder blade, or the shoulder, like moves a lot because you need to use it for a lot of different things. Um, but like kind of the opposite side of having a lot of mobility um, is it lacks stability. Um, so, you know, if we want to do more demanding things with our shoulders, we can't just rely on like the bony structure to uh, keep our arm attached to our body. We have to kind of engage the muscles to make these things functional. But the good thing is we have lots of muscles. A lot of muscles that attach to and surround the shoulder joint. Um, particularly the scapula has a ton of muscle attachments. Um, probably just to like throw out some names and then we'll, we'll go into some of this more with like specific skills. Um, names of muscles that you've probably heard of that are very important to shoulder function are your rotator cuff, um, your pecs, your rhomboids, your upper middle and lower traps. Your lats. Your lats. Your serratus. <clears throat> serratus, so good. But, and then like, honestly, your thoracic spine, all of your spinal extensor muscles are related to your shoulder function also. So like, there's lots of different muscles that attach, but these muscles, there's basically like anything everything's connected. Bodies don't really work in isolation. So like everything from like your hand, your elbow, to like your thoracic spine, these your all, neck. your neck, all these affect your shoulder mobility and your shoulder function. Um, so, you know, we're gonna talk a lot about like the, you know, shoulders are one of the two uh, main, but we only have like arms and legs <laughs> um, as like, limbs, yeah. unless you carry shit on your head, but still don't think it counts as a limb. There's some, there's some discussion about that in the anatomy world. But anyway, uh, so let's just sort of define some vocab just so that we can talk about things and all be on the same page. The movement of your shoulder, so the so, movement of your arm, let's say. So yeah, people often, do we want to talk about in like a really general sense or specific? Just range of motion. Okay, so arms going overhead in front of you, this is what we would call shoulder flexion. So if you bring your arms forward and all the way up to your ears. So technically this would be, um, shoulder flexion would be when like the upper arm bone, your humerus, is like articulating within your scapula. But because of like bones being, like joints, not just uh, moving in isolation. Uh, usually when you bring your arm overhead, you're also going to use your scapula movement. In fact, you should, which yeah. we'll talk about you later. You don't wanna fuck shit up. <laughs> um, and this is where a shoulder and a hip are sort of different. The scapula and the humerus, in almost every movement we're about to describe, are moving in tandem. So they're moving together, they're not necessarily moving the same amount, for all of these ranges of motion, but the scapula and the humerus have to move together or else that's where injuries happen. So flexion is arms forward and up overhead. And then extension would be the action of bringing your arms 
behind your back. Usually we would say like coming downwards and bringing your yeah. arms behind your back. So straight arms behind your back. Mm-hmm. Um, abduction? Abduction is going to be bringing your arms away from the center. Yes, in any direction. Um, if you're standing with your arms at your sides, uh, bringing your arms sideways and up towards overhead. But if your arms are out in front of you, bringing them sideways out to like a T is also abduction. And then there's also adduction where you add the arms together and they're going to come towards the center. Um, the other thing that your uh, glenohumeral joint can also do is it can rotate. So the ball can uh, kind of twist in the socket. External rotation is if you have your arms at your sides with your elbows bent to 90 degrees and you rotate your palms away from each other, that's external rotation. And then internal rotation is the opposite, kind of bringing your hands towards your belly. So the way I like to think about it is like, uh, most people can imagine that you can circle your shoulders or you can like roll your shoulders on your back. And the way I like to think of it is basically like, if you just think of your arm going in the same direction, that's generally the way that your scapula and your arm need to move together. Usually they don't move like- Opposite of each other. That would be a little bit disjointed, if you will. Sorry, Emily, I'll sleep in the studio tonight. (laughs) But anyway, uh, yeah, arms move in this like kind of compound way. Like you're, uh, all of the bones kind of like try to participate, all the muscles try to participate in a general direction in like a well-functioning joint. Now there's like, you know, different tightness, different stiffness, um, or like joint dysfunction, then sometimes like your scapula doesn't move when you go to do a push-up. Or like when you're in a handstand, your scapula stops elevating, but you're still managing to get on top of it. Um, So it's like there, but it doesn't necessarily feel as great. Just a shout out for circumduction. Um, oh, snap. <laughs> uh, the, in the textbooks, we would say like that's one unique feature of a ball and socket joint is that you can circumduct, meaning like you can combine flexion, abduction, extension, and then internal and external rotation to circle the joint. So like literally circling your, your arm. Um, but I would argue that really circumduction is kind of a, a unique function to the shoulder because you can't really circumduct your hip in the same way you can circumduct your shoulder to a much lesser degree, I would say. Um, so that's kind of a unique function. Yeah. And the, uh, the last kind of like shout outs to uh, actions of the shoulder, of course, we have the shoulder blade, like the big ones we were talking about would be like uh, elevating the shoulder blades, which is like kind of shrugging your shoulders up to the ears, depressing the shoulder blades, which is drawing them down. Um, And then also protraction, which would be them spreading apart and retraction, which is them drawing together. But then there's also like rotational elements, tilt elements. So the scapula, like basically any way you want to move your arm, your scapula kind of has a corresponding movement, which makes sense because they're attached. Who would have thought? Yeah. Um, and this is where, like, as a physical therapist that treats 
a lot of acrobats and circus artists. Um, we kind of have to have some special understanding of shoulder function because, you know, these scapula movements, these kind of like small, I, there's no like discrete scapula movement really. It's on a spectrum. Like as the humerus is moving, the scapula is doing a tandem function along with it. We don't really think about that so much in like sitting at a desk typing at your computer, you know, like your scapula is not doing that much to type at your computer. But when you're hanging from a trapeze or flying a hand-to-hand, -hand, there's just like a lot more to think about as far as what the shoulder's doing. Yeah, so like, you know, so let's say that we approach uh, movement with like no mobility or strength limitations and we've been like doing it for a long time so that we don't even have to think about it, then you, there's a good chance you might have pretty good scapulo humeral rhythm. So like this coordination between like how your shoulder blade and your arm move together, but depending on like your, how you spend your time, your mobility, sometimes they move in disjointed ways and this can uh, become, this can become an issue. But uh, let's talk about like how we use our, oh, and then the other parts, the other ways your shoulders can move. We talked about your thoracic spine and your scapula articulating. So you could say like thoracic extension and thoracic flexion, or even like side bending and rotation. These are also a part of moving your shoulder correctly. A lot of times if people have poor shoulder ro uh, thoracic rotation, they'll actually get like, um, they might get like anterior shoulder pain or like sh pain in the front or the back of the shoulder because they're, uh, they have to basically reach further with their arm to get something done. And then like the further you have to reach away from you, generally like the less strength you can exert. Um, the other thing that's a little bit like harder to like pin down sometimes, like how, how do we use this is your collarbone. Your collarbone moves, it spirals. Yeah, it's, you know, in PT school, in grad school, they would describe the collarbone as a, like a strut. Um, because it doesn't move away from its location so much, but it has some wiggle in it. <laughs> and it's really important for um, creating stability at the shoulder. Um, if you wanna feel your clavicle, your collarbone move, you can find the little notch right at the base of your throat. And just on either side, there's two little bony prominences where your clavicle attaches to your sternum. Um, if you, put your finger on one of those little bony prominences and bring your arm up overhead, you can kind of feel your collarbone kind of spinning in its place. Yeah, and this is something that, you know, ideally will like happen in a smooth way, but like, let's take the example, let your pecs are tight as shit. So like, those are gonna be holding onto your collarbone as you go to bring your arm overhead to some degree. Now, like you might have good enough engagement in like the opposing way that it works just fine. But you know, if like it's not something that's conscious and there's like, it's causing like a micro bend in your elbow as your arm comes overhead or something like that, you know, it might just be something that you need to put other work into. But you know, a lot of this stuff doesn't come up that often because let's say you work in an office, you, um, you talk on the phone a lot, you might like see clients. You drive. Yeah. 
or even like you're an artist that just like spends a lot of time like working on something that's like right in front of you. Um, you just might not have giant demands on your shoulders, not to say that they always feel perfect, but like when we come to a practice like partner acrobatics or handstand or contortion or aerial arts, suddenly we are kind of returning to our ape-like roots and asking a lot more from our arms, whether it's like hanging or supporting our body weight or supporting someone else's body weight or trying to grab our foot over our head. Mm -hmm. These things all are gonna ask more from your shoulders, so they will kind of start to test you both the way in the ways of strength, flexibility, and technique. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about some specific areas of training. Um, I think one of the most interesting places to start is with flexibility training as it relates to the shoulder. Um, and here's where we're gonna have to pay a lot more attention to, like how is that scapula and humerus moving um, together, like as a team, and where are you getting most of your range from? So because the shoulder is technically a ball and socket, but it's a ball and socket that is meant to have a lot of movement, it's really shallow. Um, so the hip is deep and stable, the shoulder is very shallow and much less stable. Um, the glenohumeral joint, that is. So, you know, for something like grabbing your foot overhead, we just, um, in training, it becomes more of something to pay attention to. Is that coming from the glenohumeral joint or is your scapula also moving to contribute to that range of motion? And it, it's not unlikely that you start to get a little bit more excessive range just from the ball and socket itself because it's built for mobility and the connective tissue around it is a little bit looser. So when it comes to training, you have to sort of consciously create effort towards getting the scapula to move. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about like how because the shoulder kind of involves all these different joints and you know we might be dealing with if you sit at a desk a lot or you're just like let's say you're a gamer or something and you'd spend a lot of time in a little bit of a more rounded forward position your body's going to start to take on that shape and then suddenly when you go to like take a flexibility class or maybe you dive right into contortion and you go to like bring your arms overhead, you might find that you're pretty limited. Or like this flexibility might show up when we get to handstands, like, oh, it's hard for me to get my arms to be in the spot that they're saying. Um, so people like develop like compensation or they'll like, they'll try to add extra joints. So in flexibility training, um, a few of the main ways that we might see like uh, limited range of motion would be like in that uh, flexion direction, the arms going overhead. This would be in anything like a handstand, a bridge pose, um, overhead grips, hanging, um, and then also like arms behind your back depending on what your activity is. So shoulder extension might show up in different types of acrobatics, different type of hanging activities, a lot of shoulder extension in aerial arts. Um, and, you know, in any of these directions, like things like tight forearms, tight uh, biceps, triceps, these will show up. Um, like tightness in your wrist will potentially 
change what your shoulder has to do. And especially if um, you're starting, you know, in any of these practices and you're in a group class, for instance, um, most people are going to like do their best to emulate the shapes that are being taught. Right? And our bodies are very good at finding the path of least resistance. And often the least resistance is in that ball and socket joint of the shoulder. Um, so like if you do work at a desk or you drive, you have a long commute and then you go to work at a desk, chances are your upper back is pretty stiff. So your thoracic spine isn't gonna move so much. Um, and also structurally, the thoracic spine is not super flexible. You go to reach overhead, because you really wanna get your foot. Um, if your thoracic spine isn't moving, your shoulder's gonna have to make up for it. Um, and if you can imagine, ideally, this is maybe hard to describe with words, but ideally that thoracic spine is gonna extend and kind of glide forward to get out of the way and then your scapula can move and then your shoulder can move and everything contributes to that movement but if not then the area of least resistance and the most mobility is that ball and socket joint so yeah and when it comes to flexibility training um sometimes like it is like more tight muscles that kind of can be the limiting factor but it can also be like uh, those muscles, yeah, they might be tight, but it also could be the other muscle, the muscles on the other side haven't been asked to engage that much. So like, that's kind of like the, uh, other side of like, let's say like lat tightness is keeping your arms from going overhead. Well, that might be true, but like what happens if you lay on your belly and like you try to lift your arms in that overhead direction and like do you feel like those muscles are like engaging in a good way? Do you feel like you're able to kind of like feel them? So like uh, sh limited strength on one side or limited strength even on that same, on that, uh, on the side that's tight can be the cause of the tightness. Or like, let's say, uh, I think a bridge pose, let's say a, you're trying to do a bridge, but like your spinal extensors, your active like arching of your back fatigues when that fatigues suddenly your arms are going to try to have to like work against gravity in a way bigger way so conditioning the shoulders to like work in these more extended ranges of motion is something that might be a part of it in flexibility training yeah I mean, I think at least the way that we teach and the way that a lot of people teach flexibility and even more so contortion is from really working on strength in deep ranges of motion so that um, we're getting the contribution from all of these structures as much as possible. And final word about the shoulder flexibility training. Well, maybe not because we still have like another 20 minutes of this, but length tension relationship is kind of important when it comes to the shoulder. So like we, when we think about like bringing the arm into this extended range of motion, it's not just about having like enough flexibility just to get there. If you're using your maximal flexibility, like you're using all of your range to get to the shape that you want, the chances are you're not gonna have all that much resiliency when you get there. So it's gonna be, let's say it's something dynamic, like you're landing in this position or you're jumping out of this position, like you're trying to jump from a bridge um, into a handstand. Um, you, if it's really a challenge to get there, it's probably going to be pretty challenging to stay engaged when you add more yeah. load to it. 
Um, the length tension relationship just means that in the short, most shortened ranges of a muscle and the most lengthened ranges of a muscle is where you have the least strength, unless you condition it. So a lot of flex training is like asking for strength in ranges where a muscle isn't normally meant to be super strong. One way you might think about like training this is like a bicep curl. Um, if someone's doing like a bicep curl and you just tell them to do a bicep curl, they're probably gonna do like 95% of it. But chances are, if you get them to that 95% and then you ask them, can you curl a little bit more? They probably can, they just didn't want to because it was hard. Yeah. Well, they may have subconsciously like kind of left that part out because they were like, I did enough. And like in life, that may have been plenty. Like every time you reach to grab something overhead, you don't need to reach to your absolute max. But when we're trying to train like deep range and deep strength, strength in these deep ranges, then it becomes a little bit more relevant. Um, let's talk about handstands because, you know, we, we love ourselves a good handstand. I mean, it's actually pretty relevant to what we were just talking about because for a lot of people, if you're coming to a handstand practice as a beginner or it's new for you, shoulder flexion to 180 degrees, so arms overhead um, in line with your torso, is the end range for many people. And that means it's hard to be strong there. Um, so for m many people we see um, starting a handstand practice, it's literally just like getting used to the fact that your arms have to be stacked in line with your trunk and you have to engage a lot of strength there. So I like to think of handstand as a little bit of like a plank on steroids. <laughs> um, and you know, like handstand is quite different than a plank, but as far as like the body mechanics of it, um, you push your arms against the ground to hold your body off the ground. And then like, you know, like if you were gonna compare like what someone's shoulders were doing in a plank, if you just looked at their arm in a plank versus their arm in a handstand, and someone who was good at handstands held for a minute and someone that was good at a plank held for a minute, they would be doing almost exactly the same thing. Um, like handstand has a lot more balance to it. And there's also, it's a different range of motion. So like, Handstand takes more range than a plank, but it's this action of like keeping your arms straight or at least stable and not sinking down over time. But this is one of the big things that happens when you see people doing handstands is they might go up in a good position, but then they have a lot of trouble maintaining it. And that's because like it's a, this is where we're starting to use our body for something that it hasn't really I mean, it's not really something that like even our like macaque ancestors used yeah. to do. It was like standing on our hands in a straight line um, is like a pretty human thing, almost an inhuman thing that's unique to humans. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's an endurance component there also when it comes to handstands. Um, we have an episode on the anatomy of a handstand. Um, so maybe we won't dissect like every single component of what's going on in the shoulder in the handstand. But a lot of it really is that scapula movement that accompanies the humerus, the upper arm bone. Um, because, you know, day-to-day -day life, normal function really just doesn't ask the scapula to be at its end range in that same way. And 
because the ball and socket joint of the shoulder is inherently less stable than the hip, for safety, for, for kind of preserving the health of the ball and socket joint, it really needs to be that the scapula is maximally sliding on the rib cage to accompany the humerus in the overhead position. Yeah. And that's like as you get to the end range of like the overhead position. So like this aforementioned rhythm that we talked about, um, basically there's like essentially like a corresponding spot that your shoulder blade and your arm should be in as they do this movement. And it's not something that you can be like aligning as you do it. It's kind of comes from initiating it from the right place. I mean, yeah, I was just going to say there's like kind of this people get really like intense about like, what should my scapula be doing in a handstand? Is it protracting? Is it elevating? Is it like what's going on? And the answer is like, yes, but um, it's a compound movement that happens at the scapula that accompanies the arm the entire way. So you can't really say like, think about protracting or think about elevating. It's like if you were standing behind someone and they brought their arms forward and up into the overhead position, you want the scapula to just literally follow that movement. So it's kind of sliding away from the spine and forward and up. This is kind of why we arrive at everyone's favorite and least favorite cue, which is to push. push. Because we're not telling you what to do with your scapula. We're not telling you what to do with your arm. Well, sometimes I like to say just like arm because it just kind of like breaks it down into, we talked about the upper limb before, but it's your arm. And it's like where your arm kind of connects to your torso. And if that entire structure kind of presses against the ground, there's uh, a space, there's more space at your wrist joint your elbow will straighten out, your scapula will like- Move farther. And then uh, your spine will even like potentially like elongate in that direction. And things above that can, the further up the chain you go, like it participates less, but the more things stack over top of each other, the more they can kind of like press into that direction. But like shoulder specifically, there's that push mm -hmm. <laughs> against uh, the ground. Which is funny, in aerial, uh, there's kind of this uh, corresponding pull. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, pull harder. Mm -hmm. What? Where have I heard that before? <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, that cue also means different things to different people. Um, depending on, and this is where kind of practice and maybe individual coaching is really helpful or just like getting to know your own uh, body and like kind of becoming more and more familiar with what your personal flexibility and strength limitations are um, or what you're what you're really good at um, is that you know for me these days like currently push really feels like can I get my shoulders to kind of touch the sides of my earlobes and you know, before it was more just like, how can I not sink? Um, and at different times it's been like, how can I lift my ribs by pushing in? Like, so all of these different sensations are emphasized by different coaches, but ultimately most people come back to the word push. Yeah. Um, 
it's not as specific to handstands, but I remember speaking with Emily and a, a dancer friend of ours, and we were talking about like the movement of the shoulders blades as you bring the arms overhead. And no one would ever say like move from your scapula, but they would say something like move from your back, lift your arms from your back. And like people arrive at these ways to create these more integrated movements, um, but they're just usually not gonna talk about them like joint by joint um, anatomy because sometimes it actually makes it, if you get too heady about it and too like you break it down too far, suddenly you're thinking about things that aren't actually important for performance. Like the best in the world a lot of times have no clue like what, what, yeah, what the words are. They have more of a general feeling and they might know like, oh, well, you know, my shoulder does this thing and this thing, right? Mm -hmm. And that's actually been like a lot of the conversations we've had with like really high level people sometimes is they, they know something's going on, but they're not necessarily looking for the words either. The big other big thing with handstands, we've talked about like getting the support to come from a, the movement of the scapula. We've talked about the mobility of getting there. The other thing is shoulder strength. So we have to like create stability or an ability to create tension in the muscles that stabilize your shoulder. So there's a lot of different muscles that would contribute to this. Um, but like, you know, your, your pecs, your lats, your traps, your rotator cuff, even your lats to some degree, your thoracic spine muscles, um, all of these muscles have like a engagement that helps hold you still. And that's kind of the thing is like in a handstand, like it's not just about creating one engagement on one side. It's about like kind of creating tension that holds you in place. One uh, aside for a specific muscle, even though we don't really advocate for thinking about specific muscles most of the time, um, in handstand, the thing that slides your shoulder blades apart is your serratus muscle. And when you're working really hard, you can kind of feel some fatigue or action along the sides of your ribs. A lot of people will end up referring to that as your lats because your lats are also kind of on the side of your body, but your lats actually pull your arms down. Lat strength is really important for aerial arts. Um, lat length is much more important for handstands. Yeah. And then like once you're in it, uh, once you're in the position, there's like a stability component. I think like when you're holding your joint, like especially in like bent arm positions, um, in order to like stabilize like the tension that's like lifting you there, mm -hmm. there's some level of like engagement that's kind of like the barrier on the other side. And acro, <laughs> given that it's acro chats. Yeah. So we have five minutes to talk about the demands on the shoulder for partner acrobatics. So good thing we talked about a lot of the flyer things. Yeah, flyers need to, if you're talking about flying hand-to-hand -hand skills, um, flyers need to have all of what we just talked about in handstand training. Sweet. <laughs> so we didn't talk so much about, we talked about the like more of like the stacked overhead position, the demands of like the shoulder for handstands will be different depending on what, what shape you want to do. Like a tuck handstand involves, is a much more shoulder uh, heavy handstand or a pike handstand is. A contortion handstand still involves your shoulders, but in a different way, in a different angle. Or a hollow back handstand uh, has a different like flexibility demand. 
Um, and even sometimes there's different like rotational demands for those. If you want to do something like handstand push-ups, a different strength demand. If you want to do tumbling, it's going to be a different type of like scapula slash full body sort of tension that like makes it not just like tear your shoulder apart when you tumble. Um, so for basing, if you're standing and basing with your arms extended overhead, it's very similar to being in a handstand. So like Sweet. all the same, same demands. Um, but the bent arm position for basing is uh, definitely a little bit different demand on the shoulder, whether you're having bent arms lying on your back on the floor or bent arms standing and basing. Um, they're, you know, a little bit extra going on there. Yeah, so like, let's say we're talking about the standing acrobatic bent arm position. We talked about this a good bit in some past episodes, but this like front rack position, this is like a deep elbow flexion. And it's also gonna be like, because of the deep elbow flexion, there's gonna also be a corresponding deep demand, I believe probably mostly on your scapula and your scapula rotation. Um, and that'll make it hard to keep your shoulder in that position if you're kind of right up against the edge. So this is kind of like the bottom of a handstand push-up. Um, there are ways to strengthen it, and there's different ways that you can mobilize this. So like having like some length in your pecs so that your arms can get to where they want to be, having um, you know some flexibility of like even like your triceps, um, your triceps like attached to your shoulders. Um, and if your triceps are tight, it's going to hold your hand further away, which will um, put more, it'll keep your hand further away from your shoulder in that front rack, which will make you have to use more strength and then will make your scapula have to, will make you use more like bicep strength to hold your arm there. And then your scapula, the, your rhomboids are going to have to work to not have your shoulder blade fall off your front or your flyer fall on the floor. <laughs> um, but you know, these are the kind of things that can be strengthened through progressive weight training. Calisthenics are also great and like body weight exercises, but I do think there's, I guess, we were talking about this earlier, there's a lot of value to isolating the strength training component um, away from the skill work and the flexibility work that like hand balancing and like acrobatics and flexibility training involve. Yeah. Um, we can probably revisit all these things in future episodes, but um, just to have a brief uh, nod towards injury, uh, managing injury, preventing injury. Um, you'll see most circus athletes doing some kind of shoulder prehab. Uh, if they are at a high level, if they're performing, if they've been doing it for many years, almost everyone gets to the point where they do prehab as part of their warm up. We talked about prehab in a previous episode, it's basically like your preventive things that you know your body needs to be ready. Yeah, and we had like our, I believe it was safety and acrobatics where we actually talked a good bit about prehab. And you know, prehab is one of the best things we can do to kind of like, um, kind of get in front of overuse injuries. So depending on like where tightness or um, a little bit of weakness might be in your body, you might wind up using some things more than uh, more than they're like designed for necessarily. So the more we do these uh, prehab exercises, which are gonna be individual to the individual, um, you might get in front of those. Of course, there are like more acute trauma injuries. You can fall, you can uh, slip when you're in a position. Um, and you know, this can result in like different types of 
tearing of different soft tissue. It can There can be breaks in more extreme instances. Um, I would say most of what I see is soft tissue overuse issues, um, partly from, you know, not having the requisite um, range of motion and strength um, for the skills that are being performed, but also just because what we are doing is sort of humanly inhuman. Um, <laughs> you know, like the shoulder is not necessarily meant to be doing all these things all the time. Yeah, and you know, sometimes it's almost trickier when they are these chronic overuse injuries because it can seem like something that you're just like never gonna get out of. Because it doesn't necessarily seem like you did something wrong. It's like, I didn't fall, I didn't like crash, um, but suddenly like I have pain whenever I try to do this thing that I like. So um, getting help is really helpful. <laughs> so, you know, talking to coaches to make sure that they see like the technique kind of happening in a smooth way, seeing a physical therapist or other body worker to kind of like just get an outsider's point of view and suggestions on what you can be working on. We're not here to tell you that you shouldn't be doing these things, obviously. We're just saying we that it takes a... There's, some, there's more than just doing hard shit. It's yeah. a lot of uh, preparation and... And recovery. And recovery, yeah. So, yeah, let's say these are like big picture things that you can actually do to stay healthy. Um, drink water. Hydrated tissues, like, stay healthier. Mm -hmm. Shoulders, shoulders count too. Yeah. Um, Good nutrition status. Yeah. So Recover by, like, getting proper vitamins, minerals. Uh, collagen is, like, a part of your diet that... Your body uses that substance to repair tissues. Getting enough rest, both like getting enough sleep so your body literally has its repair time. And then also like managing the volume that you work with. Like if you're not able to recover uh, for the most part before you practice again, um, you probably need more recovery time. and Or, or less volume. Less <laughs> volume. So, and otherwise, you know, hit us up if you do run into a problem with your shoulders. Yeah, we have lots of stuff going on. You can uh, find us on the internet or in person if you're in New York City or Colorado Acrofest. I think this episode will be out by uh, before then. Yeah. So, late February 2022. We're we'll teaching be there. an intensive, we found out. Yeah, it's gonna be dope. <laughs> Acro Explorations. Uh, oh, it's sold out. Well, Never mind then. Never mind. <laughs> There's no fest. Except for the Cirque House Festival, April 8th to 10th. Cool. Great segue, Emily. <laughs> See you all soon. Warrior Bridge is a leading provider of online instruction in handstands, flexibility, movement, and partner acrobatics. Classes are filmed daily from our downtown Manhattan studio and live streamed around the globe to meet you wherever you are in the world. Our classes offer students the unique opportunity to receive real-time feedback and answers from expert instructors and connect to a movement community that spans the globe. If you aren't able to attend class in real time, you can catch class replays at any time via our on-demand library. Head over to warriorbridge.com to learn more.